This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild course language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. This is Tope Up. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Hello, Charlie. Happy Sunday morning. We tend to talk on a Sunday morning these days, so it's our version of going to church. Every Sunday morning, we gather for a little fellowship where we discuss ideas (laughs) about the world and discuss our own lives and try to, you know, examine, you know, what it is that moves us and angers us and gives us passion and love and joy. So peace be with you, my friend. And peace, and also with you. <laughs> you know, what's weird is I uh, when I was out this morning. Normally, my routine on a Sunday morning is I like uh, get up, uh, make my family delicious, healthy banana pancakes, and then uh, if Jem needs a lie-in or she's got some work to do, I'll take Iona out for a little walk. And this morning on the walk, uh, as I was coming back up to the house, there's a Catholic church on our street, and I was walking behind an old man. Uh, it was just before 10 a.m., so he's on on his way to the 10 a.m. service, and he was dressed up. And it was such a flashback for me because for from the age of, you know, like three till 18, that was my life as well. Like going to church, that was the rule in my house is you had to go to church every Sunday, you know, un- until you until you're 18. I don't know why mum had that arbitrary cutoff. I don't know why when you're an adult now, you can decide whether or not you believe in God or you want to follow Christ. Uh, but I was following this guy at the road and it was not a heavily attended service because back my memory of church in the 80s and 90s was that it was a pretty big deal. Like you'd go to church service on Sunday and there'd be lots of people. The car park would be full. You know, this was a, a, a very poorly attended. And in the few times of, I don't go to church very often, mainly when my mum was alive, I'd go with her if she wanted to go or, you know, Christmas, Easter, that kind of stuff. And I was always amazed by just the lack of youth, the lack of youth policy in the Catholic Church. Like they have not managed really poor recruiting well in the last uh, 30 years. Well, they hasn't, uh, they hasn't, didn't go with hasn't youth been po- a real safe space for young people. I can imagine <laughs> as a parent sending your kids off to the Catholic Church wasn't really a, you're like, you know what? Aren't you more interested in Auskick or Cubs? <laughs> oh no, hang on. Cubs is bad too. <laughs> well, I do, I do remember like I'd go with my mum and I would observe that it was mainly filled with very old people. And even like my mum was really more going out of, you know, sense of community and probably routine and habit for her. That was kind of more her attraction. She, all her friends were there and there was community things on and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if she was necessarily compelled by her love of God or Christ or anything like to go. Um, and I would sort of say to her, isn't this, like, it, you know, it's, it's weird. There's, my memory of it was there were all kinds of ages there, old people, young people, but now it's just old people. And, and she was saying, well what do you think the church needs to do to kind of like get the youth back or speak to people on a more contemporary level? And I was like, I just don't think they can. I think the age we live in now and the information age and, and people are just too cynical about religion, unless it is like a, you live in a country where it is like a fundamentalist religion, where it's like hardline, it's there's no separation between like church and state or whatever, and you are forced to follow that religion and indoctrinated from a very young age. Why would you voluntarily follow a religion when, you know, Jesus doesn't have a TikTok. Jesus isn't on Instagram. <laughs> like if you're a kid, like celebrity is so much more intoxicating, right? So much more interesting. You're going to take, you're going to listen to, you know, the, the, the book according to Kanye <laughs> instead of the book according to John. There is something about that that I find interesting because, of course, the most successful new churches are the ones that uh, combine entertainment, the idea of going to a rock concert. Rock and roll. You know, rock and roll, you know, your Hillsong style model. Um, it is, you know, tailored to young people and things that young people enjoy. And, uh, you know, 
it has a relevance to that audience. I was talking to Steve Malk, who you might know. He's a TV oh, yeah. guy. You know, you know Steve Malk. Yeah. And um, I was doing his podcast. And, of course, he's involved in the church, both um, on a personal and professional level. And he was saying to me that he just had missed the fact that I, my first job that I'd ever wanted was to be a priest. And he mentioned something. He goes, I knew Charlie at some at some stage dabbled with wanting to be a priest, but I didn't know that you had also wanted to be a priest. And I said to him, I said, yeah, it's interesting. Maybe we've been thinking about TOEFOP the wrong way. Maybe we're both, <laughs> we're both, you know, we're both people who are originally, we're both fallen preachers, you know, yeah. essentially have come together. This is, this is a podcast by two guys who thought that they were going to be you know, uh, priests, preachers, you know, ministers to the community. And maybe we should, uh, we've toyed with the idea of starting a cult before, but maybe we're thinking mm. too small with a cult. Maybe yeah. we should be starting a TOEFOP religion. Like, you know, we make it all tax deductible. We finally yeah. turn a profit. We look at our yeah. Patreon basically as sending around the collection bowl at the end of a ministry. And we register TOEFOP as an official religion. Cool things for cool people. That's a good... That's a good uh, little marketing. That's a good twist on the religious doctrine that we could have. And everybody relaxes sort of, you know, our number one commandment of the Tofop religion. Or do, you, do we do it in a more surreptitious kind of way? Like, you know, there's certain bands or rappers or whatever that you're like, oh, my God, they're Christian. Like, you didn't realize. <laughs> like, they've been <laughs> slipping Christianity to me. I didn't even realize this whole time. Like, if it... Like, I remember the um, the Insane Clown Posse, you know, who do, like, horrorcore rap. And they had, like, this series of albums that were all, like, thematically linked to do with, like, a deck of cards or whatever. And I remember I went in, you know, you, if you've heard the ExpressVPN uh, ad, you've, we, we talked about things that we're ashamed of searching. I did go on a big ICP rabbit hole. Like, I just fascinated by the whole, you know, the juggaloos and the whole kind of culture around them and stuff. And so... Uh, this was about 10 years ago when I was looking it up. Are they juggaloos or juggalos? I always thought they were juggalos. Are they juggaloos? Oh, maybe they're juggalos. Or maybe a juggaloos girls and juggalos guys. Maybe that's a place where the juggalos go to the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> I've just got to go to the juggaloo. Podcast, Mike, can you bring up some um, juggaloo or some ICP information for us? Because my memory of what happened with them is they were like, you know, back in the early 2000s when they're doing their horrorcore rap and they were beefing with Eminem and really like violent, misogynistic, homophobic lyrics and stuff. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really outrageous kind of stuff. And then when they released their fifth album or something, I can't remember what it was called, but the big reveal was that they were Christian. Like all of this was kind of like a ruse to sort of say, hey man, we're preaching love and acceptance and blah, 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 blah. I think it's sort of, uh, it was around the time that the guys in the band got sober, which tends to happen. Like, don't you find that with born again Christians, it's like once you've had sex with everything you can, once you've taken every drug, once you've done every debauched pursuit, that's when you find God. I mean, I think I would probably find God because you've done all the fun stuff. Now let's get to the boring shit. Yeah, well, there is that. Uh, I mean, they're a bit Old Testament, New Testament when it comes to the insane clown posse. You know, there's a lot of fire and brimstone in the early years of the insane clown posse, a lot of Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. And then they sort of have a bit of a twist that it's all about, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So apparently, according to podcast Mike, the juggalo, so it's pronounced juggalo. Right, juggalo. And the female juggalo is a juggalette. <laughs> of course. I mean... It's weird, though, because from what I understand, the, the, the Juggalos, their culture is acceptance of everyone. Like when you're part of the – it's kind of like Fast and the Furious. When you're part of the family, you're part of the family. So I wonder why they have like – why do you have gender distinctions? I mean, aren't you just a Juggalo? Isn't every – aren't we all just Juggalos, Will? Yeah, can't we – why do you have to have Juggalos? Why is it Juggalos before hoes? <laughs> You got the juggalos, you've got the jugglers, you've got the juggaloos, and you've just got some jugglers who've just wandered in. When I did that deep dive on them all those years ago, um, there were these guys, uh, Matt Lieb and uh, Vince Mancini, who runs a website called Film Drunk. There's a writer I quite like, and they went away to one of the um, uh, whatever their what are the festivals called? The ICP, you know, they they have like a big festival every year. And they went to one of these festivals to document it. And 
it, the, when you read the blog, it's really interesting because they go with the intention of making fun of all these people. It's like, let's just check out these white trash Fago drinking, you know. But by the end of the weekend, they've been treated so well and they've been so warmly accepted into the Juggalo family that they felt kind of bad about like, oh, why did we sort of like, we went in with this intention of ma- making fun of these people. But then you get there and it's like, oh, well, they're just... This is just their tribe. There is no different to any other people except their tasting music is awful. <laughs> Which is is a lot like going to the Catholic church. <laughs> so, would you be like cuz they often at their the the Juggalo festivals, they have like stand up and stuff. If you got offered like good money to go do like a set at the Juggle like my podcast Mike, can you work find out what the festival's called, the Insane Clown Posse Festival. Okay, so you're from the Insane Clown Posse and you're like, we have this festival. How many people go to this festival, would you imagine? Podcast Mike, can you find out what the festival is called? The Gathering of the Juggalos and how many people go? Well, actually, it's the Gathering of the Juggalos and the Juggalettes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, uh, the Gathering of the Juggalos. If I get an invite to Gathering of the Juggalos, aka The Gathering, Okay, that sounds more om- ominous and end of the world. But I get a, an email and it says, yeah. you know, things are starting up again. One of the things that's starting up again is the Insane Clown Posse's gathering of the juggalos and juggalettes and jugglers. And uh, they're doing stand-up comedy. It's an outdoor event, I assume. I assume it's probably some sort of outdoor concert. So It's a, fest- it's a music yeah. festival. So yeah. social distancing, Three-day festival you're kind of fine in a, in a pandemic. Um, yeah, I'd do it. Like, now, what are the political beliefs of the... The juggalos and juggalettes, though, like what sort of material am I going to do? It's pretty lowbrow. Like I don't think they, I don't think they sort of. Oh, look, I mean, I have no idea, but I don't feel like they've ever come out on one side of the political spectrum. Like they're not necessarily Trump supporters, although I imagine they're, you know, their base would probably fall into that category. Considering, oh, I mean, if you if you like insane clowns, you can't go past Donald Trump as being <laughs> somebody that you're going to admire. Okay, so in the last, uh, so in the 2000 to 2010, the festival drew a total attendance of 100,000 fans. So you could average that out to be like 10,000 fans. So that's that's a pretty big festival. From that, you may know that there's been stories of like people performing there, like who get like uh, pelted with like bottles of piss and oh, shit like that if okay. people don't like them. <laughs> so like it it is one of those ones where it's like, like you know. It, it, you're taking a risk by performing to a festival full of like high drunk juggalos. Yeah, okay. Because up until that point, I was like, yeah, no, I'd be nice for the stage time and it'd probably be a cool mm. story. I'd probably get some stories out of it. But now that you've introduced the idea that if it does not go well, somebody might throw their feces at me, I'm suddenly at least bumping up the price. <laughs> I think comedians have perform there let's see if there's anyone of your ilk uh podcast mike can you find out what comedians have performed at the gathering in the past we'll just sort of see you then you'll get an idea if you, you could fit on this bill like if it's you know larry the cable guy and stuff maybe it's not you know not your your scene but it might be like a, a fairly diverse cast of comedians i mean imagine that would have would it be looked at as pandering or offensive or me trying to join in and be part of it if i did it in clown face if I put on the insane clown posse <laughs> makeup, am I gonna am I gonna get cancelled in a couple of years? There'll be a photo that comes out of me in clown face going, he's not even a juggalo. Look at him. I don't think you'd get cancelled, but it would definitely be pandering considering you have never at any point done any kind of gimmicky kind of comedy. You've never been a prop guy, you've never been a gimmick guy. Like it makes more sense that Dave Anthony or Greg Barrett would do it because of walking the room, you know, clowns from the waist down. They would actually be perfectly suited to it and say, I mean, Dave Anthony at the gathering would be incredible. And I think they would dig him. I actually think like there is a sense that Dave is a disaffected, like disaffected voice and he's speaking to other disaffected voices. I reckon there might be a real kind of synchronicity between between Dave and, and the Juggalos. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think the reason that you know, Dave responded to Bernie Sanders was not just because he believed the sort of things that Bernie Sanders believes, but that Dave projected to what he'll look like in 30 or 40 years. <laughs> and he's going to just be going around randomly yelling at people about injustice. He's going to be like an amateur Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. So podcast Mike has said Paulie Shaw. Okay. Well, all right. 
Okay, when I said comedians so, perform <laughs> at the gathering, Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen. Okay, so okay, all right, we're getting an idea. Fully sure. When I, Charlie Sheen. But Tom, Tom Green, Green is all right. Oh, yeah, I've done gigs with Tom Green. I don't know Tom Green. Ron Jeremy. Okay. I think I actually heard Tom Green talk about it, and he because he did Rogan's podcast, and maybe it was that one, but I remember him talking about it, and he very much did it from the perspective you were just talking about, where he was like, well. Why not? Like this, this will be an interesting experience, and I'll have something to talk about. But I can't remember what his impression of it was. Does Ron Jeremy count as a stand-up? I don't think he's. Just, I mean, as much as Charlie Sheen, I guess. I mean, I guess that he was probably there doing his stand-up rather than doing the other work he's more famous for. <laughs> I can't imagine that just in between insane, insane clown posse sets, they just get Ron Jeremy out to have sex with somebody live on stage. But that gives you an idea of it's kind of gimmicky stunt kind of performing, really. Like, I imagine, like, who would be the, who would they get? I mean, there must be some pop culture. Who's the in the zeitgeist right now that you could throw on stage and, and you know, sell a ticket for? It'd be like, Logan Paul. I think he's too big to do The Gathering. Isn't he like one of the biggest YouTubers on the planet? Okay, so you think they need to be somebody who's kind of at the end of a scandal or yeah, something uh, like that? Yeah, or, or someone who, you know, like uh, went viral. Like, you know, the, the at the moment there's that, uh, uh, like, I don't know, I was, was going to say that racist old lady. Have you seen those videos? That old lady who's been filmed twice in the same day being like racist and yelling at people in the park. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so racist old lady, we'll get her. Yeah. Um, the woman who called the cops on that guy in Central yeah. Park, we'll get her. Anyone who's been disgraced in a racial video, a whole bunch of cops. That's great. But that's a good idea because if you wanted to, like, because I'm not besmirching the good names of the Juggalos. Like, I got nothing against Juggalos. But if you wanted to get all of these, like, online racists and put them on stage and then give the Juggalos the opportunity to throw bottles of piss at them. Then it's a win-win, right? I mean, that is a good point. And you probably just get some extra people coming along going, I'm hoping a juggalo throws this shit at Ann Coulter. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, But I was going to say more to that. If you're the sort of person who has been involved in some sort of online thing where everybody in the world thinks you're a racist or a sexist or a homophobe or something like that, and you're like, I can't show my face in public again, surely a place where you can go and walk around in like, you know, a bizarre clown makeup is the per- perfect place for you to go back to having some sort of semblance of a normal life where people aren't going, oh, you're that woman from that Central Park dog video. Do you think that you would put the clown makeup on though? Like, because on one hand, you're there, to, people are there to, you're the attraction. So why would you conceal that? Like you need to, kind of, that's your cachet, right? Oh, well, maybe off stage, I'm more thinking. Oh, okay. I'm thinking between, on stage, right. you might appear as yourself. But if you want to like just walk around and I mean, soak up the atmosphere of the gathering, <laughs> you can just clown up, you know, you can go side stage. They provide everybody with a little makeup kit. Well, more than that, it's probably the best place for like, like Coachella and, and Burning Man have completely like been commercialized and sold out now. So... You know, you're not going to get your Leonardo DiCaprio's and your Margot Robbie's and world famous stars going to those festivals because they're going to get hassled now. But send them to the gathering; they can put face makeup on. Like you know, you see photos of uh, uh, Leonardo trying to enjoy himself at like festivals and stuff, and he's always got that cap on and his sunglasses and trying to keep a low profile. But he still looks like Leonardo DiCaprio. The best solution for that is just to send him to the gathering. Like, no one's going to recognise Leo with a face full of makeup. Clown up. Yeah. It'd be great if it turned out there weren't any insane clown posse fads. They were all just celebrities. <laughs> celebrities. Who had come up with this scam to get together out of the gaze of the prying eye. I put a poll on Twitter this week. I'm not sure if you saw it. Um, uh, I've been watching a lot of films from my youth, from the 90s. Uh, lately, uh, I think we talked. We've been going through all the old Tarantino films, and I just recently rewatched Train Spotting, and I started thinking, like, God, like I don't know if it's a bias, but I feel like movie soundtracks in the '90s was like the zenith. And I was because I put this poll up, which is like, what, what movie had the best, like, what quality movie had the also the best soundtrack from the '90s? And I put up Pulp Fiction, Train Spotting, Romeo and Juliet. And the crow. They were the four that came to mind. Like I felt like every uni party I went to in the nineties, at least one of those albums would be there. My personal feeling is train spotting is the best of those soundtracks. And I'll ask you because 
a lot of people responded and were throwing up like, you know, someone sent me like Space Jam is having the best soundtrack or Judgment Night or whatever. But I feel like my qualification is it has to be a really good film. Like the film and the soundtrack have to be of equal quality. And I also feel like at least one track from that soundtrack has to be inseparable from the movie. So when you hear Lust for Life, you just think of train spotting, right? Like it's almost inseparable now. Or when you hear that surf guitar from the opening of um, uh, 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 Pulp Fiction, you know, you think of you think of Pulp Fiction. Is there another sound? Have I missed anything? Can you think from the nineties? Was there a better soundtrack? Or, or the Crow? You know, maybe not as iconic, but some great bands on that. The Cure, Stone Temple Pilots, Nine Inch Nails. I can't remember what this. I mean, well, Top Gun's not nineties, is it? Top Gun's no eighties. Eighties. Um, I, I remember that soundtrack being very popular at the time. Really, the Top Gun soundtrack. Top Gun, yeah. And while you talk about iconic moments, there are a few iconic moments in that film where when you hear the song, you think of the yeah. iconic moment in that film. And that's what Tarantino Highway. does Danger such zone. a great job with. So obviously Reservoir Dogs was stuck in the middle with you. Like mm. the, those songs, when you hear them in the future, you think about that movie and that scene. Like you've lost that love and feeling. You could never hear that song without thinking about that scene from yeah, Top Gun. Yeah, that's a good point actually. Um, I had... Uh, this is just a bit of a bizarre one off to the side. One of the albums that I listened to back to front, and again, 80s, I guess, more than 90s, but um, was Kokomo. I had the album to the movie Kokomo. <laughs> and it's a good album. No, it was Cock- Cocktail. Oh, cocktail. The, mo- That's the movie right. was Cocktail. Kokomo was the lead song off the album, co- off the yeah. Cocktail album. That's right. Sorry, yes. And I knew that album back to front when I was young. I'd like to test you on that. So, Podcast Mike, can you bring up the track listings for the Cocktail soundtrack? Let's see how much Will remembers. How many of those songs that I actually remember even what the song is? Yeah. 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 Can you remember the... Uh, you wouldn't be able to remember the order of the tracks, would you? It wasn't that burnt into your memory? Uh, no, I wouldn't even be able to remember what all the tracks were. But if we have a look at the uh, tracks through, I'll see if I can remember them all as you say them. Off the top of your head, what tracks do you remember from the Cocktail soundtrack? Oh, Any, no, I, can't, I, I won't oh, be able on. to. I won't be able to pull them. Well, Kokomo, obviously, but like, I, you'll have to go through them for me to remember uh, what they were. I'll give you some clues. Um, um, well, if the landlord says your rent is late, <laughs> <laughs> would you worry about that? Uh, is it? Oh, I don't know. Um, don't worry, be happy. Was yes, that on there? there you go. <laughs> um, there's an Elvis track. Okay, so firstly, don't worry, be happy, and uh, Kokomo. That's already two pretty heavy hitting songs. Yeah, big hits. Don't you think? Big hits. Yep. I mean, it's funny though because I I would not until you brought it up, I would not have ever sort of thought of Kokomo or I wouldn't necessarily associate Don't Worry Be Happy with Cocktail. That's just, that was its own single, right? Or did it come from the soundtrack? It's an interesting question. No, I think it was its own sing- sing- single, okay. I, I believe. But um, okay, what was the next one then? There's an Elvis song. <sighs> oh, but not sung by Elvis? Is it just like, is it a cover of an Elvis song? Is that right? Yes, that's right. Performed by Ry Cooter. Uh, all Shook Up. Yes! Well done. <laughs> yes. No, that was that was one of my favourites off the album. Absolutely. Um, this I'm is a very. <laughs> this is. I'm all shook up. <laughs> this is a, a very eclectic, very unwill Anderson collection of songs. Just looking through this, like, did any of your friends listen to this album, or was it just you? I don't know why, but I went through a big. I mean, I love the movie Cocktail. <laughs> Not really sure what it was. It about 1980. What would 80s, right? Cocktail. Yeah, I think it's 88. 88. Yeah. Okay, so I'm f- what 14 years old when this comes out, and there was something about the Kokomo cocktail lifestyle that really connected with me. Now, I think partly it was because. I grew up, my mum didn't have a lot of albums, right. but she had a lot of Beach Boys when I was growing up. And so I was really, really into the Beach Boys. And obviously, right. Kokomo was such a huge song, and I liked that album. And then I went through a period where I loved Brian Brown. I, I would watch <laughs> everything that Brian Brown was in, like the FX movies and all that sort of stuff. I was really obsessed with Brian Brown. Born so, Birds? Um, yeah. It's weird to remember, but I was quite obsessed with the movie Cocktail and the soundtrack to Cocktail. 
Uh, the funny thing about it is a lot of these songs are kind of like, they're not 80s songs necessarily. They're like 60s songs. So it's not even like... Mm. It's not even like they were hip for the time, apart from Kokomo, but even that was by a band that was from the 60s. Um, well, that's what I think I remember I liked about it. It was that it was kind of cool old songs. Okay, give me some more clues. I'll say I'm happy with how I've gone so far. Okay, well, uh, what about uh, if, if a little, little Richard song? And I remember... I rem- oh, died recently. Um, I remember this... Oh, Tutti Frutti. Yeah, I remember that scene from the film because that's when... That's yep. when they're. That's when he's dancing at the bar, right? And he's throwing the bottle. Around. I mean, right. it's cocktails. So of course, exactly. there's going to be a scene yeah. where he's dancing at the bar and throwing the, throwing the drink around. Um, uh, okay. Oh, um, uh, you might as well face it, Will. Addicted to love. Robert Palmer. Robert Palmer. Addicted to love. Yep, definitely. What a great song. Um, I've never heard of this song, but uh, it uh, has boogie in the title. Uh. No, nah, I nah, that hip, no, no. that hypnotizing boogie, David Wilcox. Geez, I still can't remember what that song would be. I'd, I'd know it obviously if it played, but I have absolutely no recollection of that song. Uh, this next track title goes together with a pretty face. Oh, Chantilly Race, <laughs> Big Bopper. Yeah, uh, great song. Um, you know, if you are being violent with a, a hippie, <laughs> hippie, hippie shake. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> no idea who that's by. Uh, the Georgia Satellites. And that that's okay. one of those songs where it's like, I, I can't tell if that's an old song or if that if that was recorded in the in the 80s. Because like, I know the song, but it's a bit like, um, you know, the other song that makes you think of that is, uh, that's what I like about you. I'm like, is right. that an old song? Because it sounds like an old song, but was it re- when was it recorded? <laughs> okay. Um, Powerful Stuff, never heard of it by the Fabulous Thunderbirds. Do you know that one? Yeah, I think love might be the thing that's powerful stuff in the lyrics of that song, ah. if I remember. But Okay, um, Jefferson Starship have yep. an entry. Oh, Jefferson Starship. It's going to be... Ah, uh, fuck. Um, nah, nah, can't remember. Wild Again, never heard of it. No, nah, don't remember. I've got to say, Will, this is not really a classic <laughs> soundtrack album I mean apart from Don't Worry Be Happy in Kokomo there's uh, This Magic Moment by Leroy Gibbons have you heard of that? Mm. This Magic Moment maybe maybe okay Shelter of Your Love by Jimmy Cliff uh, Jimmy Cliff's good but I can't remember the song specifically uh, Since When Robbie Neville mm. Mm. yeah okay he's a guy I went to see in concert I think it was actually maybe my first concert or maybe John Cougar Mellencamp John Cougar Mellencamp is yes, I do actually remember John Cougar Mellencamp being on this. Yeah, what it's was, not it's not his most famous track. It's one of his kind of his probably his lesser lesser hits. Yeah, um, oh, potentially me, a cover too. What was that? Well, the thing he is singing about became hugely popular in the nineties <laughs> with ecstasy. Um, Red Mitsubishi. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, the John Cougar oh, Mellencamp song "Red no, Mitsubishi." I know, I know what you mean. Uh, Rave on, rave on. There you go. Crazy feeling, and I know, know you got, got me reeling. reeling. So, that, is that a cover? Good that song. feels like another song that could be a cover, doesn't it? Rave on. Yeah, I think it probably is a cover. Uh, oh, I mean, I don't know this song. I've never heard of it. It's by uh wayne roland brown but it's the greatest title essential essential sensual oh essential sensual do you know how that goes um, i don't remember essential sensual either i'm actually gonna have to listen to this soundtrack <laughs> after we do this today to remember these songs essential sensual. that is fantastic how happy are you by the way when you come up with the name of that song yeah. you're like this new song is called essential sensual <laughs> essential sensual it's like a vocal warm-up Essential, sensual. Uh, Essential, sensual. Uh, yes, my uh, podcast Mike has just reminded us that uh, Buddy Holly was uh, recorded the original rave on. We should have known that. We should have known that. Um, oh, yeah, of course. The last two tracks were When Will I Be Loved by the Everly Brothers um, mm-hmm. and then Inside Job, written, performed and produced by Michael Laning and Rick Bell. I believe that might just be more of a, a, a score rather than a, a single. Yeah, okay. I mean, look, I don't think it ranks up there in the in the... <laughs> In the pantheon of classic soundtracks, cocktail, but I sort of feel like maybe in the nineties too, with the kind. No, of- you're right. Look, but I, there was five or six songs that I really loved on it. I guess that's what yeah. I'm really saying is I remember there five, there was five or six songs I really loved. I think what happened in the nineties though, and again, 
I, I, I was more curious to see if it was just my bias because, you know, that's my youth and, you know, obviously you're going to be more inclined to think that they were the, the best soundtracks. But I think that with the kind of explosion of indie cinema in the 90s and, uh, you know, auteurs like Danny Boyle and, and um, uh, Quentin Tarantino and stuff who were very musically literate, you know, they sort of created scenes around having a track and, and, and they're more curated rather than sort of like getting a collection of hit songs and let's just throw them together in a comp- like a compilation album, 100% hits. This, you know, the films and the music are intertwined. And, the, you know, when I, when I watched Trainspotting again, I was just like, oh, fuck, man, this is like a time machine because it's not just some of the songs, obviously, like the Iggy Pop stuff is, is, is older than when the film was set. But the feeling of the 90s and that sort of mix of kind of like dance music and Britpop and, and rock and roll, like it just it just feels so of its time. But at the same time, it, it's still great to listen to now. Like you can listen to that album now and it still sounds fantastic. It doesn't sound dated like maybe the Top Gun soundtrack would probably sound if you listen to it now. Or the Cocktail soundtrack might sound <laughs> yeah. a little dated. <laughs> Will, I just want to take some time to talk about this week's sponsor, ExpressVPN. Uh, well, it takes some time, Charlie. We've got nothing but time, and you please, you don't even need to take time. I'm going to give you some time, and you use it to talk about whatever you want, but in particular, the people who are paying us to talk about something. Well, the people who are paying us to talk about something have asked me to talk about a time I've searched for something online that I didn't want other people to know about. Oh, hang on. Well, hey, uh, surely if you don't want other people to know about it, then you're not going to be able to talk about it on this uh this, oh, this is a conundrum from the good people at ExpressVPN. I feel like this this is entrapment. I feel like maybe my wife is actually the CEO of ExpressVPN and this is just an elaborate ruse to find out what I've been searching for. Yeah, it, it's actually Express v, it's ExpressVPN with one S. Uh, and it's actually just coming from Gemma's Gmail account. She's like, what are you searching for on the internet that you don't know what you want people to know about? Look, I know most people listening to this are probably thinking, why do you need ExpressVPN? Why can't you just use incognito mode? Well, let me tell you something. Incognito mode does not hide your activity. It doesn't matter what mode you use or how many times you clear your browsing history, your internet service provider can still see every single website you've ever visited. That's why... Even when I'm at home, I never go online without using ExpressVPN. Well, it doesn't matter who you get your internet from, if it's like Telstra or IINet or Dodo. Are they still a thing? Is Dodo still around? I just top of my yeah, head. Yeah, I think Dodo's still a thing. I don't know. I don't know. Well, thing. Is the Dodo extinct? Oh, the irony. <laughs> well, guess what? ISPs can sell your information to ad companies. Now, ExpressVPN is an app that reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers so your ISP can't see the sites you visited. So all those shameful uh, banana pancake recipe sites I've been visiting can be hidden. My secret shame can be hidden forever. ExpressVPN also keeps all your information secure by encrypting 100% of your data with the most powerful encryption available. Look, most of the time, I don't even realize I have ExpressVPN on. It runs seamlessly in the background and it's so easy to use. All you have to do is tap one button and boom, you're protected. You can send your IP address anywhere. You can pick a country, Will. If you feel like you want to be searching in India, boom, you can search in India. You want to search in the United States, boom, search in the United States. ExpressVPN is available on all your devices, phones, computers, even your smart TV. Oh, is that right? Oh, I didn't know. That's really good. I'm going to use that now. So there's no exactly. excuse. What, what sort of dodgy material are you now looking up on your smart TV? <laughs> So there's no excuse not to be using it. So to protect your online activity today with the VPN rated number one by CNET and Wired, visit my exclusive link or our exclusive link, I should say, because we're a team. Well, it's you and I. We're in this together. If I'm looking up shameful stuff, so are you. Not really exclusive then, is it? It's actually, you know, hey, I'm not responsible for the shameless shit that you're looking up on the internet. To visit our, that's me and Will's exclusive link, visit expressvpn.com slash tofop. Uh, that's expressvpn.com slash tofop. And you can get an extra three months for free on a one-year package. Expressvpn.com slash tofop. E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash tofop. Go there to learn more. <laughs> it should be a, a Patreon bonus level that people get to know what things you're looking up using your ExpressVPN. <laughs> you can see Charlie's ne- secret blacklist. Never. Uh, I'll tell you about dated soundtracks. Uh, I told you that I watched The Running Man recently. Do you remember who did the soundtrack 
for the movie The Running Man. It was a big, in the same way as you might get, say, Johnny Greenwood or Tom York or um, LP from Run the Jewels just did the um, soundtrack for Capone, I think. So Trent Reznor, for example, from Modern Day Times, a musical artist of the time who's who's, who's actually doing the score I for had a movie. no idea so was he a big star of the time was it like was it a big he had one big song that was the biggest song in the world oh. uh it was an instrumental song so it makes sense that oh, yeah. he was the sort of person and it was very 80s and so when you watch this movie the thing that is dated the most about their vision of the future is how 80s the music sounds in the background of it a big hit that was an instrumental in the 80s yeah. Uh, and is it an American artist or an English artist? I mean, I assume he's American. He does not have an American-sounding name, probably. Um, but he, I think, I assume he was American. Oh. I have absolutely no idea. I mean, it's not... No, I was going to say, it's not the guy who did Axel F. <laughs> it, is, it is the guy who did Axel F, Harold Faltzemeyer. <laughs> you're kidding. Oh, my God. But you're right. That was a massive hit, and it was no. I mean, yeah. uh, that was my one guess. So the other one was going to be uh, "Yellow." Oh yeah, from you know Ferris Bueller's Day Off, because I assume that was a hit. I don't even really know. It's like if ten years ago somebody got the Crazy Frog to do the soundtrack <laughs> for their movie. But it, does it have that kind of quality where, like John Carpenter films in the '80s? You know, he did all the scores for them, and. It went through a period where people felt like it was really cheesy, all that kind of synth, heavy synth kind of stuff. But now it's super popular again and, you know, Stranger Things has sort of ripped it off and every horror film that comes out now seems to be wanting to do the John Carpenter. Do you think it's just a matter of time before the Faltermeyer... What was his name? Faltermeyer. Faltermeyer. Harold Faltermeyer. Harold, the Faltermeyer comes fucking faulting back into the the picture through no Faltermeyer of his own. He probably needs modern artists to reclaim it in the same way as Stranger Things or modern movies have sort of reclaimed or reinterpreted it, you suddenly need a whole bunch of... Yeah, I mean, you, you think of this with, like, craft work and those, like, you know, they, those bands who were so instrumental, not only in being great artists themselves, but what they enabled modern artists to think was possible and create on that sort mm. of template. And I imagine that there's probably a whole bunch of electronic artists who the first time they heard electronic music was Axel F. And maybe Harold Faltzmeyer is some big influence in that kind of community. But what they really need is modern day action films to reclaim yeah. that. So what you need is like Fast and the Furious 9 to get Harold Faltzmeyer back on board. I think that's actually not a bad idea in the same way that like, because action films do feel a bit stale now and they do feel a bit formulaic and they you know especially the fast and the furious they do just grab whatever compilation album soundtrack they want to do but if you think about what horror happened in horror about five years ago where the the john carpenter kind of renaissance began like it follows you know sort of adopted that 70s kind of tone and feel and the soundtrack and it was really effective and kind of breathed new life into the genre i think that's a great idea for instance just say the John Wick, the next John Wick that they make, they decide to go with Faltermeyer, like a Faltermeyer soundtrack. I reckon that could be really cool, just as a way, in the same way that um, when Taika took over Thor and he gave it that Flash Gordon kind of camp, 80s sci-fi synth soundtrack look and feel and it breathed new life into Thor. I reckon that's a... Well, I think you're onto something. I think get John Wick on the phone. <laughs> Get the John Wick people. We need to speak to them. We've got a great idea for John Wick 4. Well, what I will say to you is I think it is the sort of music that you could put in a John Wick film. When I said The Fast and the Furious before, it didn't feel right. You're like, they could never actually make no. that work. But in John Wick, I think you actually could heighten the graphic nature of what's going on, that sort of video game quality, by giving it a sort of Harold Faltermeyer feel. And the great news is, Charlie, I've done a little Googling mm. while... Um, while you've been talking about that, uh, it turns out that Faltermeyer still alive and ready to fucking go, because oh really? His real name. So firstly, oh I love this. Okay. So Hans Hugo Harold Faltermeyer. So he's Triple H Faltermeyer. <laughs> so Triple H. He's fucking Triple H. I love it. He's the game. <laughs> uh, Hans. Hugo Harold Faltermeyer, originally spelt Falter as you'd spell Falter, M-E-I-E-R, but um, his professional name, he put a Y in there instead of the German spelling because he's actually a German musician. 
um, a composer mm. and record producer. Faltermeyer is best known for composing Excellent. the Axel F theme for the feature Beverly Hills Cop, an influential synth pop hit in the 80s. He also composed... Oh, hang, hang on. Here we go. All right. I've been undervaluing Faltermeyer, uh, it turns out, because he also composed the Top Gun anthem for the feature film Top Gun Oh. And the music for the Chevy Chase feature films Fletch and Fletch Lives. All right. Very 80s. He's of his era. He's due for a comeback. Uh, he is... Uh, what's he up to now? I want to know what... Uh, later career. In Vienna, Faltermeyer and Reinhard Fendrick collaborated on the 2002 musical Wake Up. Faltermeyer also provided the soundtrack for... Oh, my God. Charlie. Oh, my God. Mm. All our worlds are coming together in the Faltermeyer zone. We never knew that Faltermeyer was one of the uh, six, uh, six steps of uh, six degrees of TOEFOP that could link things together because uh, he returned to film scoring for a 2010 action comedy. What was the 2010 action comedy that Harold Faltermeyer did the soundtrack off. Now, I'll give you a clue. It's someone that's mm. important to this podcast and you were right in yeah. thinking that it has to be like a auteur type, somebody who's looking back at the past to make sort of some sort of statement about modern day uh, filmmaking. Yeah, okay. So, 2010, action comedy. Someone, so, it's either going to be Keanu Reeves, Adam Sandler or The Rock. There's three, they're the three, am I in the right ballpark at least? You've missed another big star, another big action the star. We, the, who's dear, near and dear to our show? Uh, well, yes, this person is in fact very near and dear to our show. Oh, who would that be? They're the three biggest ones. The director um, of the film uh, is near and dear to this yes. show and the star of the film has been referenced many times on this show also. The title uh, of the film is Two Words. And would be a handy slogan for the Black Lives Matters protests. I don't know. Who tell me? Just reveal it. Don't leave me. Kevin hanging. Smith, cop out, oh, starring cop Bruce out. Willis. Fucking hell! That was his comeback. Yep. Oh my god. Oh my god. That's such a shame. <laughs> well, that's all right. That was just a false start, and that was ten years ago. It, Just get the directors of John Wick 4 on the phone. I reckon we bring Faltermeyer back. I reckon Kevin Smith probably... Kevin Smith is a child of the 80s. He would... And he knows all those films. He's a big fan of Fletch. I reckon he would have probably brought Faltermeyer in. That, seem, that seems like the kind of thing you would do. You're making a kind of throwback buddy cop film from the 80s. You get Faltermeyer in. Uh, it has been reported that Faltermeyer will have music featured in the upcoming Top Gun sequel. Ah, Yeah. See, that'll be interesting. I watched, um, uh, just last night, I watched uh, Trainspotting 2. Have you seen Trainspotting 2? Uh, I think I watched it once, but I have little or no memory of it. It's really good. I actually, I, I, I saw it uh, about a year ago and then watched it again last night. It was like, it's actually, a, it's a, in the same way that I think Fury Road is an excellent example of how uh, an auteur can return to their own material and not repeat themselves. Like it makes a specific point of not doing fan service. Like there is a, a running joke in it where Renton, like Ewan McGregor, goes to play a record of Iggy Pop, but pulls the needle up just before Lust for Life starts because, you know, essentially what Danny Boyle is saying is we're not going to do that. And when they do, they do have like little musical cues, little nods to the past. But what's so brilliant about it is if the first film, if the first train spotting is an examination of like uh, disaffected youth, sort of, you know, when you are just young and stupid and just full, just making mistakes and running headlong into a future that you don't even know exists, then the sequel is about being a middle-aged man where that kind of shit just doesn't fly anymore. Like, what was kind of fun and rebellious and kind of nihilistic but kind of cool, you know, when you're 20s, when you get to your 40s, it's just fucking sad. And that's what the film really kind of... Uh, leans on and and the way that Danny Boyle uses your music in that which is like we are not going to look back at the past and be like wow wasn't it a great time because that was a we were fucking idiots back then 
and we've learnt nothing. Like to be 20 years later and still being junkies or still fucking around and, you know, pulling these petty crimes and stuff. It's actually, I think it's a really, really, really good film. I was, I didn't see it when it came out and I was, I was wondering if it maybe was poorly reviewed or just, you know, sort of slipped through the cracks. But it turns out on, you know, Rotten Tomatoes, it's got quite a high rating, but I guess you can't, that, that first train spotting was such a kind of lightning bolt and a product of its time. And when you make a sequel, you're not going to have that same surprise factor. Like everyone knows where you're coming from, but it's such a good, maybe it's just speaking as a guy who complains about his bins and his neighbors and loud things now, but I totally identified with this idea of shit, man, like your twenties feel like yesterday. Like, you know, we met when I, you were in your, we were both in our twenties when we met and, and, and that at, at, at one hand, it feels so like yesterday, but then we're old men now, <laughs> you know, look in the mirror and the idea of, you know, there's a great scene in it where, um, you know, so Renton's been cleaned up and he hasn't, you know, touched heroin in 20 years or whatever. And then he sort of gets sort of dragged back into sick boys, petty crime world and they stay up doing coke and, it's it's a beautifully shot scene where it's just like the madness of uh, and the pointlessness of you know just getting together and getting fucking wasted and and they sort of he, the scene is sort of shot through the the point of view of a younger girl you know a girl who was in her twenties who would have been the same age as they were back in the late nineties and just how sad these old men look as they do lines of coke and get drunk and and tackle you know play fight and rant and rave and stuff and it's it's not cool anymore you know like maybe you know when you you watch the first film there's some kind of there's a cool aspect to that kind of culture and that sort of that 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 energy that they have but then to be 20 years later and trying to do the same thing it's like oh this is sad man and even begbie you know who is such a terrifying character in that first film. Like, can you think of another villain in a movie who's not like a supernatural villain or whatever, who's as scary as Begbie? Like, he seems so real. That idea that you could be in a pub and some guy just randomly picks you uh, to, to, to smash you in the face with a glass or whatever. Like, it's just, he's such a terrifying character. But then when they bring him back, like, he's a fucking old man who's impotent. Now, you know, and the world has moved beyond him, like all his violence and his rage matters for naught nowadays. Like that gets you nowhere. Like the world has moved on from that. It is interesting, isn't it? You think about this a lot when, because, you know, in our 20s, we we had a good time too. Like not a train spotting good time, but like a good time. <laughs> and we yeah. can do that now. Our financial capacity to do that is probably better to do that now than it ever was back then. But you you just move out of it. It's not like you you, you know, yeah once or twice a year you're like oh I'd still like to take that aspect of my personality out just to you know take it take it for a ride see, see, if, it if, see if it still works you know <laughs> see if there's any particular yeah. if a rat's chewed through anything that I need to patch up or repair. Um, <laughs> but the idea of doing it constantly still there is something yeah that it feels remarkably sad when you see those people in their 40s who are still pretending that they're in their 20s yeah i mean that's bondi like bondi (laughs) is filled with filled with peter pans like it's filled with guys who got to their 20s and were like this is fucking awesome going out partying banging girls i don't I'm going to maintain this phase of my life for as long as possible. I'm going to dress like this. I'm going to have the same level of complexity to all my relationships. That's all I'm going to do. And it's like that line from The Wedding Singer, you know, where uh, Adam Sandler is talking to his mate who's like the Lothario and he's like all heartbroken because the Drew Barrymore thing didn't work out. And he's like, no, man, you know, you and I, we're going to hang out. We're going to be like Fonzie. And he's like, yeah, but you know what happened to Fonzie? They ended up cancelling his show because no one wants to see a fucking guy in his 40s hitting on girls and pretending he's cool. Well, it's the Steel Panther uh, thing when I went to see Steel Panther at the House of Blues in LA. And, you know, it's a real 80s throwback. And so there are some people in the audience who are dressed up, you know, to remember the 80s. Like, you know, we're going to go and see Steel Mm. Panther, so we're all going to go and dress up like we used to dress up in the 80s and it's going to be like going to see the Rocky Horror Picture Show or something. We, the audience, are joining in by us dressing up and celebrating this night. And then there's about a third of the crowd who never stop dressing like that. 
you can tell they haven't put on costume to go to the gigs. They've yeah. been just going, no, this was the best era of music and fashion and I have lived that in every bit of my existence every single day. I've not taken this leather jacket off since 1984. Well, I caught up with um, Cam Knight yesterday and uh, when I saw him, he was wearing like ripped jeans, sort of like combat boots, he had like a flannel tied around his waist and like a faded black T-shirt on and a beanie. And I was like... It's like, I feel like this is how you dressed all through the 90s. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he's gone, he's gone, I've just realized, like, why am I changing my wardrobe? I liked how I looked back then. I liked how I dressed. So that's all I wear now is the clothes that I liked back then. I was like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. I guess I do the same thing. Yeah, I, I must admit that certainly my coronavirus, uh, you know, wear that everybody else is now going, oh, it's nice to wear your hoodie and your tracksuit pants every day. I'm like, way <laughs> ahead of the game on this, guys. <laughs> My wardrobe was ready for a global pandemic where you had to stay at home. Um, all right, let's get to some letters before we say goodbye to everyone. Um, we've had a few people write in, which is good. Um, this is from Matt. If you want to send us an email, by the way, you can do that at uh, emailtofop at gmail.com. Matt says, uh, hey, Tofop, been eating banana pancakes regularly for the last two years compared to the regular pancakes I've gotten at a brunk, at brunk in various Wellington eateries. They're moist and more flavorful. Pancakes equal bland delivery system for butter and maple syrup. Banana cakes, banana cakes equal a tasty food you garnish with butter and maple syrup. Stop bullying Charlie for his good life choices. Finally, finally. Yeah, finally. One person who's on your side. <laughs> That's all it takes, mate. A movement starts with one person. Yeah, uh, well, this is a guy, though, who it sounds like he's making his own banana pancakes at home, but he's only judging regular pancakes based on what he's got at Brunk, which I assume is what they call brunch in New Zealand and definitely not a typo. So he's down at Brunk <laughs> on a Sunday morning, you know, yeah. getting drunk at Brunk, as they like yeah. to do in New Zealand, avoiding the coronavirus because they're a good, sensible country, being governed by good people. Um, and he's like, well, these Brunk pancakes are no good. I'm going to go home and make banana pancakes. Maybe they're just better because they're homemade. Maybe if he made his own pancakes at home, he would also enjoy pancakes. Yeah, I mean, I think... When I would eat regular flour pancakes, I never, I always find that ordering pancakes at a cafe or whatever, it's, it's too much. The quality variable is too great. Sometimes they're these thick kind of like scone type things. Other times they're the, the thin crepey things. And I know like if I'm going to eat a pancake pancake, like a flour pancake, then I want to go to like an IHOP or a pancake parlor style place where you you know what you're going to get. A specialist. Yeah, specialist. <laughs> a specialist. Somebody who just does pancakes i just don't want them chucked on the menu on a sunday morning and the chef's like i actually prefer to pre uh, like cook up a, a chicken parmigiana but on a fucking sunday when all these fucking kiwi idiots are in for brunk <laughs> i have to fucking make pancakes rowan writes in dog food recipes is his subject hi will and charlie we've just got a new puppy uh -huh. arriving in a month or so congratulations uh looking to make our own dog food instead of feeding him the store-bought stuff I've heard Will talk often about cooking for Ramona and Winona and wondered if you could share some good recipes or sauces. Thanks for the laugh, boys. Not a doctor. So Blue Apron for dogs, but for dogs. Have you got any uh, tips? The standard I go for, because it's kind of a low-fat, good nutrition and just what they enjoy diet. So I do sweet potato, majority sweet potato, because it's like lower in fat, high in nutrients. You know, it's a good base for... It, uh, pumpkin tends to make their poo a bit runny. So sweet potato is kind of your base. A little bit of potato, not too much because like it can get a little bit too starchy and a calorie full potato. But like probably half of the, what you do in sweet potato you might do in or a third of what you do in sweet potato you'll do in, um, in the actual potato. Uh, carrots, normally a couple of carrots, two or three very carrots. Very orange. It's a very orange uh, dog food. Yeah, it ends up, it definitely ends up a little bit orange. Zucchini, I put zucchini in and um, mm. and then parsley. The trick is the parsley because that's the thing that really helps with their digestion. That's the fart the, suppressor. The fart suppressor. So I use flat um, chopped, I, I try just chop, up, chop it up really fine because otherwise they won't necessarily eat it. And then I, I'll do... Uh, we they like chicken mostly like yeah chicken is the base so if we're going to cook something I will boil them steam them some chicken and then uh, we'll do raw meat 
to go with that. Um, you can you don't have to overcook the veggies. They're they're happy to eat raw veggies. It's kind of meant to soften them up rather than to you know make them into some sort of nursing home mash and uh, paste. Yeah, and then like we'll put some bickies in and stuff. You know, every now and then because it's good for their taste to chew on like biscuits but we put them in the mix rather than but you can have variations like we give them some turmeric bites for their joints but you can mix some turmeric into the food if they don't mind that because that's really good for them and you can look at those sort of things that's my rest that's my basic recipe i've always wondered how you how you pronounce that spice i say turmeric like as in merrick watts but it's it's turmeric is that correct i mean turmeric i've heard both turmeric and turmeric okay turmeric and russo of course (laughs) My favorite spice combination. Uh, Rowan followed up after that email straight away with virtually an identical uh, email, but slightly edited for comedic purposes. I'll just indulge me for a second, Will. He says, uh, hey, Will and Charlie, we've just got a new pup arriving in a month or so, looking to make our own dog food instead of feeding him the straight store-bought stuff. I heard Will often talk about cooking for Ramona Winona and wondered if you could share some good recipes or sauces. Please, nothing with banana or oats. Thanks for the laugh, boys. Not a doctor. Thanks, Charlie, for the edit. I thought of my joke too late. Well, you know what? Wasn't fucking worth it. Was not worth writing a second email, Rowan. There are no bananas and no oats in the... I've been cooking a lot. I've been cooking so much and I've been making a whole bunch of cakes that you would not eat because they're full of flour and sugar. But I made this uh, recipe out of the paper the other day. It was like a lemon, uh, lemon sort of berry slice brownie cake thing. And... I've made it twice now because it was so nice and it came out completely different both times and I'm sure that I did the same thing both times. They're both really nice, but like one, the berries sank to the bottom, one they said at the top. I'm just like, cooking is confusing. My last um, eating of flour and sugar was two weeks ago. There's a, a donut store, like a specialty donut shop that's opened up in Sydney in Redfern that I've been obsessing on on Instagram. Like they keep posting these like amazing looking videos of all their like amazing donut selections. And so for weeks I've been saying to Gemma, I'm going to go on, no, no, when we next get a break, I'm going to go on drive out and buy myself some donuts. And she's like, okay, okay. She's like, is it really going to be worth it? Like, do you love donuts that much? I'm like, I've just been looking at this Instagram page for weeks. I can't wait. I can't wait. And so uh, the day came and I had an hour free. Iona was, uh, Gemma had Iona. And so I jumped in the car and I drove out to Redfern and, um, it's super popular. Like it's one of those kind of like, you know, there's only one of them. And, 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 and so I jumped out of the car, joined the line, the socially distanced line, went in, bought myself like a giant strawberry donut, like a strawberry milkshake donut and um, a blueberry uh, bear claw donut and uh, went back to the car, scoffed the strawberry one almost immediately, like just like shoved it, it like just hadn't, hadn't had like a, a proper donut in so long. And then was driving home and started feeling a bit sick. You know, when you get that sugar rush, where it's like the first 10 minutes are amazing. And then you're like, oh God, like what the fuck have, what the fuck have I done? And then um, that sort of passed. And then I, like, I, I was able to <laughs> suppress that feeling of sickness and, and, and ate the second one. And I didn't realize until I got all the way home that while I had been in the line and then buying the donuts, so probably about 15 minutes someone had come along and just smashed the passenger side, like ripped out the mirror from my passenger side window. Like, I don't know if it was just, I hadn't parked across anyone's driveway or what had happened, but obviously someone had just, you know, decided to vandalize my car. And so then uh, uh, I get home, I realize, oh fuck, so I have to order a new mirror for the car, about 90 bucks. And then all the following week, my face just broke out in the worst fucking like, like teenage acne. Like I got acne across my hairline, acne down my face and my cheeks, all from these two fucking donuts. So when Gemma asked me, is it worth it? Well, it costs $90 when I add in the value of the mirror, plus my face broke out in pimples. So yes, I think it was worth it. I mean, you're you're like one of those people on the game show Survivor uh, because, you know, they've eaten nothing but rice and fish for like 20 days and they win some challenge and it's like pizza and donuts and stuff that have been sitting on a tray next to Jeff for the entire time they've been competing in the challenge and you just see them scoff this food in a way that you just know they're spending the next six hours shitting in the bush. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Uh, David writes in, subject line is Charlie Sanity. Hey guys, Charlie, for the sake of the podcast, I hope you live in your area forever. 
However, for the sake of you and your family's sanity, please move. <laughs> As a dad of a six and a four-year-old, I can tell you this is not going to get better. I recently bought a T-shirt and it is awesome. Can we get a shirt with a bin on it, David? Uh, yeah, look, man, look, we're trying to move. We want to get out. We're, we're looking. We want to... I mean, I, I, I can't... I, I'm even considering moving to Queensland. That's how <laughs> much I want to get away from where I live. I love where I live, don't get me wrong, but it is doing my head in with the kid and the noise and just now Sydney's opening up again. It was actually quite nice during isolation. The traffic was off the roads, wasn't as packed, but it's starting to open up again. It's just getting too busy. Um, here we go. Middle-aged man grump. We haven't had one all episode, but Sydney's too busy. Well, I'm telling you, there's too many people. It's just, it's, it's too packed. I can't, you can't go anywhere public without a million people already there in the first place. So yeah, look, we're looking to get somewhere quiet. We want to, we want to get some land. We want to have somewhere quiet, somewhere self-sufficient. That's the dream. So one day. Well, as someone who's living your dream at the moment and has been for mm. the last two and a half months, I highly recommend it. I have All already right. become one of those horrible people that just thinks that I'm like somebody who's just discovered a new idea about progressive values and now wants to virtue <laughs> yeah. signal to everybody about how good this thing is that I know. I'm like that about living in the country. For a guy who spent nothing but the last 30 years hanging shit on the country and growing up in the country and <laughs> blah, 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 I am now just like, what are people on about bloody city folk? Bloody city folk with all their traffic and noise. Got to get out to the country. Uh, David, your idea about a bin t-shirt is pretty good. We'll throw that to Foz, who's listening to this right now. So, Foz, if you can think up a good bin design that you want to do, go for it. If you want to um, grab a t-shirt uh, like the one David got for himself, there's heaps of great designs. You go to redbubble.com slash people slash Mr. Foz. Uh, there's not just t-shirts there. There's mugs, there's posters, there's shower curtains, there's tote bags. Someone had a, a Tofop fax tote bag the other day. It looks pretty cool. Um, so, go there. Support the show, support James. Uh, apparently, sales have been through the roof. James keeps sending us these updates. Like a, it's like he's like our stockbroker. He's like, uh, Tofop's up, Tofop's up. <laughs> keep it up, keep plugging it. Um, so maybe we haven't been doing you guys enough of a service because it's great shit. Like Will and I, uh, we have a lot of Tofop products. Can I ask you, Will, when you're making tea for, for Amy or, or, or coffee or whatever, have you ever given her a Tofop mug or do you feel that's a bit gauche? No, the Tofop mugs are on a different shelf. The Tofop, <laughs> mug, the Tofop mugs are only used for my coffee and come down to my office and then they yeah. go back upstairs to be washed and they're put on the separate shelf in the cupboard. Yeah. And if I'm making Amy a cup of tea, it's in one of the good mugs. But these are also great mugs. And uh, uh, yeah, the merchandise is absolutely fantastic. I was just going to put out a shout out to mm. if there is any... Um, like personal trainers or people who have um, any experience building exercise equipment. I've been thinking a lot about how to keep fit here. Um, mm. That you know, I can get to the beach, but it's coming into winter, and you know, getting to the beach is you know going to be less rewarding as it gets colder and rainier over the next few months. And uh, the roads, just like kind of walking along the side of the road because it's the country here, is just a little bit dangerous with the dogs. And uh, so, but. I've got a paddock, you know, and it's down a hill. And we did a bit of a walk around the paddock the other day because it had got slashed and, you know, it was good to be able to actually um, have a walk around it. And I realised there's a little circuit sort of down a hill through the trees and back up the hill that's probably, you know, I don't know, nearly probably a kilometre if you did it in a, it's probably not that far, but like, you know, whatever it is, like 500, 800 metres, whatever it is, you could do a little circuit. And there's enough areas. I was thinking I might do something like, you know, they have it, at parks where like every like you know 500 meters there's like a chin-up bar or like yeah. like a little step-up bar or something because i think down in, yeah. in the paddock i could put to, i could like mow a little path around the paddock and then sort of put various exercises at different points so if there's anyone out there who has any experience in i did a little bit of googling but it's yeah. kind of a very specific thing of like you know, if I wanted to build yeah, a version of some of those exercises they have in parks in my own backyard where would i start doing that would you? Would it be tailored to your specific physical capabilities, or would it be like the I stuff mean, you see? I mean, I'd be it? negging myself if I put in shit that I couldn't do. <laughs> 
just every day have to walk head down past this thing that I'm like, why do I shame, feel it's shame. Why do I feel so terrible? I knew I couldn't do it when I constructed it. Uh, you can also go to our YouTube channel, Tofop TV. There's lots of great stuff up there. If you want to really support the show, the best way you can do that is to become a Patreon subscriber. Uh, we've had lots of people sign up. Over 200 people in the last two months have become Patreon subscribers, and it's actually it's made a huge difference. I don't uh, know if we go on about this enough, but the fact that we have that extra income coming in has been uh, a real lifesaver, particularly in these times. It just means that Podcast Mike is taken care of and James is taken care of, and it just means we can plan for the future. We've got a brand new website, which is almost ready to go. It's going to be awesome. It's a brand new website that's really built around James's artwork. It's like an online gallery of all of James's artwork, not just for Tofop, but for Philosophy, Quantum Cop, Everyone Relax. So when um, that's done, uh, you'll be able to visit it. And we want to create a mailing list and just sort of take this thing to the next level. We've been talking about it for 10 years. Uh, in about three weeks, it's going to be the Tofop 10-year anniversary, and we really want to actually push to that next level. Um, and the best way we can do that is if you guys support us. So if you have money to spare, we understand it's tight. Don't feel like you're compelled to do it, but you can go to patreon.com slash Tofop, sign up for any amount. There's heaps of bonus content in there as well. When we're done with this, we're going to record a bonus uh, Tofop where we go through the letters we get on our Patreon. There's behind-the-scenes photographs. There's filmed episodes. There's uh, Everyone Relax. There's Quantum Cop. There's great stuff in there, so it's really worth your time. Uh, I highly endorse your comments. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. <laughs> This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you.